The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Hey, good morning, church. I'm so glad you showed up today. I wasn't so sure how it was going to be, so I'm just so surprised and, and grateful. So anyway, if you're new here today, you picked the right week to show up to church. It's going to get real up in here. Um, it was funny, we had this sign up here, and Mason was like, it looks like the band name, it's like Mason and the Sex Lies. So we didn't really plan it like that, but so we'll see if that takes off. I don't know. They'll be on iTunes. It's going to get weird, um, but I'm excited about it. And it, yeah, just as a quick uh, quick little disclaimer, if you do have kids in the room, if, if we do have a great Illuminate Children's Ministry downstairs. Um, these, uh, these four weeks, it is going to get kind of honest in this room. We're going to say the word sex a lot. And uh, so if you're uncomfortable with that or you have any issues with that, um, they have a great ministry downstairs. And, and just as a quick props to them, um, what's happening in the basement is not just child care. I want you guys to know that. They are teaching your children. They are loving on them. They are sharing the gospel of Jesus. We had heard this last week. Um, Somebody actually called in to the church just to let us know because they were so excited. This little girl, um, eight-year-old girl had come and she'd just been this little ball of anger and angst and frustration, came from a pretty broken home. And this family was watching her for the morning, brought her to Illuminate Kids. Um, she was downstairs and they said that when she left the church, she was a different kid. Like all she kept saying was, you mean Jesus forgives me? You mean Jesus loves me? You mean, you mean God loves me unconditionally? She'd never heard it before. And so she was, she was changed. She was completely different. And so they were hanging out with her for the next couple days and just couldn't believe that God had worked in her heart. And so I wanted to share that with you guys to say God's moving downstairs and upstairs doing amazing things. Uh, I just think if, if that little girl's the only reason we have done church for the past five years, it's all been worth it. Isn't that awesome? So anyway, yeah, give them a hand. They are serving well down there, doing really good stuff. Um, so no judgment if you want to haul your kids out and check them in downstairs. Um, that is okay with me. Um, any married people in the room? That's some married people. Yeah, yeah. Single people, loud and proud. Come on, single people. Yeah, yeah. And available. You just, woo Yeah. Over in the corner. So... Okay, so it's so mixed crowd in this service. Um, this is a this is a difficult conversation. It's a difficult topic. There's a lot of emotions tied to this. We've got this bed on stage, um, which I don't know if anybody's shocked by this. I don't know if you've been to church and seen a bed on on stage. Nap. That's right. Well, the worship team is going to play from there. Um, but the bed brings up all kinds of emotions and feelings. Um, we have done this for a few years. When we talk about sex, we put a bed on the stage uh, because it draws out real feelings, real emotions. We don't want to just have a philosophical conversation about sex. We want to really um, understand God's perspective on it and get into our hearts, um, into our cores when it talks about sex. And so the bed brings up feelings of frustration, maybe. Maybe you see, you think of feelings of shame. 
Uh, maybe you think of broken situations. Maybe you think of anxiety. Um, maybe you think of fear. Maybe the bed brings up all kinds of emotions as, as uh, broken decisions, maybe mistakes. You think of the bed, you think mistakes. Made a lot of mistakes in the bed. Um, I don't know what the feelings are for you today, but we really want to get to the heart of this issue. Um, and I even acknowledge, just even in the church, this is a little weird. Um, one of the things that we say is there's two places to talk about sex today. Uh, two good places we believe in the home is the first place, and in the church is the second place. We believe this is a safe, good spot to talk about sex. Um, that's not always the case. We did a mailer a few years ago. We sent out these postcards into the, into the community. And uh, that was a shocker for some people. And somebody actually got in their car with the mailer. They drove to the church. They tore it up in little itty-bitty pieces, and they threw it at the floor of the main entrance to the church, which I'm like, that's commitment. <laughs> that, is, that is really commitment to, to opposing what we're doing here. And the interesting thing was they didn't tear it up well enough to hide their name and address, and so we thought about taping it back together and resending it, but we were like, I'm not sure that's what Jesus would do. So we didn't. We didn't do that. But it draws out a lot of emotion, a lot of feelings. There's a John Ortberg quote. He says, if you want to grow the church, you need to preach on three things. Sex, the end times, and that there's going to be sex in the end times. <laughs> the thing is, that's not really true in our church. What I'll say to you is this, and that's why I'm kind of, I'm just, I'm just so excited that you're here. Um, I'd preach this to, to, to one of you. But I'm just, I'm glad that you're here for this because um, whenever we talk about sex, there's, a, there's an interesting thing that happens with our attendance. There's all kinds of people that sort of disappear for this series. And there's a whole group of people that show up that we haven't seen in forever. Um, new people show up just to see what the conversation is going to be about because it's an interesting topic. Other people, they, they think that they already know what I'm going to say before I say it. And maybe you've already kind of gone, okay, you're a pastor. I get it. Um, I hope you've got more content than just don't have sex before you're married. I do. I have more to talk about than that. Um, there's so much more than, than that. I want to I wanna get there. Um, we're calling this series Sex Lies. This, this week is, is what the church told me. We're talking specifically about things that you've heard in the church or from the church or from Christians. And our, our kind of our launching passage is in Romans 1, verse 22, if you want to flip to that um, real quick. It just says this, Paul is speaking, he says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So this is all about God's, God's judgment, and it's all about humanity, that as humans, we've traded in something beautiful for something less than beautiful. We've, we've chosen to serve the creation rather than the creator. We've created idols, and we've, we've created actual idols, and then other things that, that may not be so specifically easily seen as an idol, like the things that we worship here on earth. We've traded those things for God, God for, for lesser things. And then God has says, he says, I'm going to give you up to this, to the lusts of your hearts. It's kind of like God's looking at humanity and he says, if that's what you want, you can have it. You can have it. And that's the truth in this sexual area that any moment now, any of us today, we can leave church, we can walk out these doors, and we can ruin our lives and other people's lives through the vein of sexuality. Any moment we can do that. God may intervene or what God may do is say, if you want it, you can have it. 
And we've seen that in our lives. If you've got a broken story, you've got a situation that you said something that I did was just wrong or something that was done to me was just wrong. I don't know why it happened, but God allows these things to happen and we learn from them. We, we experience pain from them. We grow from them. So we're calling it sex lies because I think in the, in the vein of sex that there's a lot of lies that we believe. There's a lot of lies that we perpetuate by the things that we do. And so the question is, wouldn't you want to know if you were living a lie? Would you want to know that? If today what you were living was a lie, or you're believing something that isn't true, wouldn't you want to know that? And the, the answer is kind of like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I'm kind of afraid of the things that maybe I've believed in. I'm kind of afraid sometimes of the things that, that I might not believe that are, that, are, that are false. And so it's kind of a, kind of a tough question. The next question, I think, just to level the playing field, because I always try to teach, recognizing there are people in this room that don't believe in Jesus, and we are glad that you are here, and there's people in the room that believe in Jesus. And so I try to find something that we can connect together on. And the first, the first question is, do you think that the world's view of sex and sexuality is broken? Is it broken? I think it's broken, but, but maybe you don't. It depends on your story. Some people don't. Some people think, no, it's, I think it's good. I think, I think we're healthy. I think we're doing okay. You know, maybe it's pushing some of your cultural limitations. Maybe you're not used to the things that the world says are okay. But, but I think that we're just being progressive and we're just learning new things and the world's becoming more open-minded and that's a good thing. So you have to ask yourself the question, is it broken? In 2007, global, global pornography revenues were estimated at $20 billion, with $10 billion in the U.S. alone. That's a lot of money spent on naked pictures and videos of people. $20 billion. I mean, even if you don't think pornography is bad, you've got to think, is that the best way to use $20 billion? That's a lot of money. We could, do a, we could you know, wipe out the global water issue. We could give food to how many people with $20 billion? Dollars. One in four women and one in six men are sexually assaulted at one point of their lives. One in four, one in six. Huge. Across our nation and in Anchorage, I was just reading an article about this yesterday, um, teenagers and adults are being sold into sexual slavery. That this idea of sex slaving is, uh, is something that's local. It's right in your back, back door. It's right here in Anchorage. It's throughout the country. Um, it's global. Approximately 20 to 25% of men and 10 to 15% of women engage in extramarital sex at least once during their marriage. That's huge. 20 to 25%. A quarter of the men at one point or another are engaging in an affair. Is that a problem? Is that broken? <laughs> women, yes. That's not okay. Men, yes, that's a problem. I was reading this. This blew me away. 17% of 13 to 18-year-olds have sent or received a sext message, which if you don't know what sexting is, is sending pictures, naked pictures of yourself uh, to each other. It's, uh, that's, as a dad of girls, that's a problem for me. Uh, I'm not okay with that. And it's funny, I was watching something on, it was like the Today Show, and they were arguing about whether or not this was good or bad, which blew me away. They're like, well, they're experimenting and they're, they're learning new things. And I'm like, do any of these people have daughters? Because uh, I wonder if the advice that you give to other people and the things that you believe for yourself are the things that you would give to your children. You know what I mean? Like, is there a double standard here? Because they will see it. So no matter what the church has told you, I want to tell you one thing. That godly sex is the best sex. And that's where we're going to go today. So um, I'm going to pray for us. 
And we're going to watch a story about this. God, would you just open um, the gates of honesty here? God, could, would, you, would you just allow us to be real with ourselves and to let you speak into our hearts? Father, I pray that you would infuse your word with, uh, with, with just an ability to speak to us today. God, allow us to be honest. Allow us to be open. Um, Father, I know that you are here in this space. God, that you're going to speak to us and use us uh, to further your kingdom. We pray it in your name. Amen. Go ahead and watch this video. So I grew up in church all my life. Growing up in the church, first I'm told that sex is bad, it's evil. You know, growing up as a teenager in junior high and youth group and that the devil will try to use sex to pull you away from God, to be that wedge between your relationship and you and God, and that it's just all bad. But then, with just uttering two words, I do. Now it's good. Now it's perfect. It was very interesting growing up, the, what Hollywood taught me about sex was that sex was going to be this perfect, blissful thing, that um, bodies always fit together perfectly and everybody was on the same page and there was background music and slow motion and it would last it all night long and it was basically this amazing thing. And then there was what the church taught me. And what was interesting about that is the church taught me basically the same thing. There was always a subtle message that if you talked about sex, then you were endorsing it. Sex wasn't talked about much in my home or at all. And at church, when it was talked about, it was for procreation. So I thought my parents had had sex twice, once for my sister and once for me. So in youth group, we were told that physical contact was the gateway to sex. So. We weren't even able to go to the dances because at the dance, you might get too close to someone which would lead to sex, which turned out not to be true. We were set up for a little bit of a disappointment. That perfect gift wasn't this gift that was like all ready to go. It was more like a 10,000 piece jigsaw puzzle that we had to put together one piece at a time. Through the years, we discovered it was a gift through conversation, being on the same page, and through a lot of trial and error. Now fast forward 22 years later, and it's the perfect gift. And I get that now. But back then, the church didn't quite prepare me for what this perfect gift really was. I'm excited about this series. If we're going to talk about sex, church is the place we should be talking about it. That was awesome. Give them a hand, would you? <laughs> Slow motion and theme music. That's awesome. Oh, not true at all. Those were the Talbots. Uh, if you met Josh, it's his brother and sister-in-law. Um, Travis and Jeanette, just awesome people to have up here. So um, do you remember your first crush? Can you remember like that first first relationship or first crush that you had? Uh, how about your first kiss? Can you think back like when that moment was the first kiss? For me, it was Patricia with the pigtails. 
have no idea what her last name was because it didn't matter in second grade, but she had pigtails. She was blonde. Her name was Patricia, and I remember that clearly. And so I went to a Catholic school growing up in upstate New York. My dad was an Air Force guy. We traveled around quite a bit, but we were in New York, and that was the best school in the area. So they put me, and we weren't Catholic, uh, but I went to a Catholic school, and Patricia thought I was awesome. And she thought I was funny, and she played with me at recess. And I just still remember one day, she comes up, I think a lot of you have, have kind of had this story, and asked me, have you ever been kissed? The answer was, uh-uh. No, I have not. And so she goes, today's your day. <laughs> awesome. What do I do? And so she comes up she gives me a kiss and it was just on the cheek and it was that moment where you're just kind of hovering off the floor you know that that feeling of excitement and and euphoria and you're just like wow i don't know what that was but it was exciting you know then life moves on right junior high hits and uh we were in uh, we were in north dakota minot north dakota beautiful little piece of heaven are you clapping for north dakota don't clap for north dakota oh my goodness cold and dark and so uh, you put a bunch of junior hires together in a cold and dark climate like Alaska or North Dakota and they start to experiment a little bit and so everybody was dating somebody in junior high there's this girl and she was like do you have a girlfriend and I said no and she said now you do and I was like okay and and I it's, it felt like I lost complete control this girl I just follow her around the school um guys have you been there where you're like I don't know what I'm doing anymore she's just she's got me on a chain and I just follow her it's just what I did and so followed her around and she goes now we got to kiss it's what you do and I'm like okay and so we start kissing and she had this thing she wanted to kiss every day after school in front of the school buses which was just weird and awkward and uncomfortable but you know it's what I did and so day after day you go to the school bus you meet the girl you kiss and what was a little peck on the cheek was now um was now a little more interesting and so she she was educating me um, on what it meant to actually kiss and what that looked like. And so then you get into high school and it gets more complicated. What was a little bit of experimentation, you know, what was fairly harmless, um, now turns into uh, sexuality and experimenting with each other and uh, trying new things and, and seeing things on movies and trying those things. And uh, it becomes more and more complicated. Now you've got a story. You've got a history. There's people that you have relationships with that are broken. And you start having these deeper connections and deeper spiritual level connections that now are together and torn and together and torn and together and torn. And each time that happens, you end up with a new story, a new little piece of history, a new thing to bring into your next relationship. And it gets more and more complicated. Hopefully by this point in your life, somebody sat you down and had to talk, right? Somebody sat you down, loved you enough to say, this is what life is like. This is a girl. This is a boy. This is how it's going to be. Here's what to do. And, uh, if you didn't have the talk, which it's funny, Amanda, as I talked to her, my wife, um, they never talked about sex in the church. It wasn't something that came up. They just never talked about it. My youth pastor, it seemed like it was all he talked about, which, which just drove us crazy. We're like, great, you can have sex and we can't, but just, just keep talking about it. So it's, he loved to talk about it, but it was, a really, it was really good stuff. It was important stuff for us. Two talks that maybe you've heard. The first talk is suppress it. Shut it down. 
You're feeling, you're feeling these impulses and these drives. You need to ignore them. You need to shut them down. Act like they're not there. They're dangerous. They're scary. Just ignore them. And then one day, kind of like their story, it'll be perfect. Suppress it. Shut it down. The next talk is express it. You've got these drives. You've got this anatomy. What you need to do is learn how to use it. And the only way to learn how to use it is to go try it out. So go try it out on whoever you want. Just be careful, whatever that means, like handing a loaded gun to a two-year-old. Like, just go be careful. Uh, don't shoot yourself and, and go have some fun, right? So go express it. And, you know, interestingly enough, it doesn't really matter whether you grew up in the church or not. I've heard both of those stories from people, from people who are churched and people who are unchurched. According to the CDC, 46% of adolescents fed sex before graduating. So almost 50% of our teenagers before they graduate high school will have sex. That blows my mind. Interesting. There's a problem here. What was the talk, label as the talk growing up, should have never been a talk. It should have been an ongoing discussion. And Josh is actually going to talk about that here in a couple of weeks. I hope that you guys will be here for that. Bring your friends. If you've got parents uh, of, of kids that are growing up that, that need to hear this stuff, you need to just drag them to church here in a couple of weeks because we're going to talk about that a lot. Josh has got some great things to share. So it's a, it's a really important conversation. So what is said in the church about sex? What's said? And I'm going to, these are maybe a little bit um, out there for some of you. Maybe you haven't heard these things specifically, but um, I'm just going to kind of draw a contrast between what the church has said in some instances about sex and what I believe God says about sex. The first one is, it's bad until it's good. It's bad until it's good. Don't talk about it. This is sort of the suppress it. It's dangerous. It's embarrassing. It should be avoided. We'll talk about it when you're older, which is normally way too old. I get scared when I talk to parents and they're like, oh, you know, my boy, he's like 11 or 12 and he's just not into that yet. He's not into girls. And, you know, I'm going to talk to him at some point. Um, but, but like, he's just not into that right now. I start to get nervous and anxious because I'm like, dude, he's already into it. I I'm sorry to tell you, he's at school. He's on the bus. You know, I mean, they, it's getting younger and younger, you guys. The conversation needs to happen way sooner. And it doesn't happen all at once. It's going to be a progression. It's going to be little things that turn into greater things. It's going to be a progress. Makes me nervous. So the church has said it's, it's bad. It starts off with, to protect you, what I want you to do is to think of sex as bad. And what was meant as a protection is actually a perversion. It's, it's a perversion because you don't actually have to hate something to respect it. You know that? You don't have to think about it as bad to respect it and understand it correctly. It's a perversion because when you get married, it's pretty, pretty hard to have a positive view of something that you've always been taught to hate. Just, just hate it, and that's going to save you from it. And then one day when you get married, you can love it. It's not a light switch. It doesn't just flip on and off like that. Travis used a great illustration of a, it's all these pieces that nobody's ever helped me put together. And so we'll do this when we're married, which, which that can happen. And God can work through that. And we can have healthy sexual relationships once we're married working through it. But it, it starts you off from a pretty difficult place. The church has said it's bad until it's good. The culture says just go explore it. 
in general. Just go explore it. It's good. It's healthy. It's kind of good anywhere. It doesn't matter where. Just go explore it. I've got an excerpt from a, from a pretty sexual, sensual book here that's gained a lot of traction in our culture today. A lot of people are reading this. Just sit back, relax. I'm going to read this for you. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. It says, How beautiful your love, dear, dear friend. Far more pleasing than fine, rare wine. Your fragrance more exotic than select spices. The kisses of your lips are honey, my love. Every syllable you speak, a delicacy to savor. Your clothes smell like the wind outdoors, the ozone scent of the high mountains. Dear lover and friend, you are a secret garden, a private and pure fountain. Body and soul, you are a paradise, a whole orchard of succulent fruits. You guys know the book? It's the Bible! That's right. It's the Bible. Fifty Shades of Nothing, that was the Bible. I know where you were going. That's the Word of God. There's, it's an awesome piece of Scripture. Song of Solomon, that's chapter 4. Go home, read that with your husband or wife. Um, enjoy that. There's, there's fine wine and, and sex involved, which I guess those two go together, which is interesting. Um, there's... <laughs> this is going to get weird. You said it was going to get weird. Um, there's fruit, which is funny. Um, there's like all kinds of illustrations of, you know, wind and all your senses. It's like a, it's like a fruit salad of sexuality. It's interesting. (laughs) The high mountains. I mean, that's good stuff. That's good stuff in the word of God. It's this story of this new couple as they come together and consummate the marriage. It's a beautiful piece of poetry. And it's right in the book that you guys carry around in your iPhones or you've got it sitting at home, that big thick thing that grandma had on the counter. That was in there. So um, it's good. I want you to write down three words. Sex is good. That's what God says. It's good. Sex is good. And some of you, I realize, are already uncomfortable with me saying that because when I say sex is good, you want me to put in the but. You want to say, it's, it's good, but, but you got to do this. You got to make sure you do that. And you got to be careful with this and watch out. It's a loaded weapon and you want to be careful and you don't want to hurt anybody. And, and I get that and, and we'll get there. But, but it needs to begin with, a, with an understanding that God made it and it is good. So go to Genesis chapter 1. If you guys want to, want to open that up, verse 24. Genesis chapter 1. So we needed to lay a bit of a foundation for sex as it was created in the beginning. It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made beasts of the earth according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God said that it was good. Everything's good so far. Then God said, let us, that's the Trinity, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so interestingly enough, right now at this point in creation, this, this term for man means mankind. So there's no gender at this point. There's no man and woman There's just mankind, and it's good. It's this perfect unity between us and God, between us and our Father. It's totally good. And so I feel like I want to pause here before we move on. Everybody wants to rush on to Eve. We'll get to you, ladies. We'll get there. But right now, there's this mankind, and then it's good. Perfect intimacy, perfect wholeness, pre-sex. 
So we have to start there. We have to start with an understanding of what sex is and what its place is. Because unfortunately what's happened is sex, I think even in the church in some places, has become the end-all be-all for intimacy. Like this is how you become a complete person is you have sex. This is how you are intimate with other people is you have sex. And I want to say something that I know means nothing from a married guy, but single people, you can experience fullness of life without sex. And you can experience intimacy and great connection with other people without sex. And it's not going to kill you. It's not going to kill you. Nobody ever died from a lack of sex. It just doesn't happen. We don't need sex to survive, but we've placed it on this pedestal as it's always the, the swelling point in the movie. It's that big moment. They had sex. You almost, you're wishing, you're wanting them to get together to, to consummate this relationship. And so we see this as, well, that's when I become whole. That's when they really connect. That's when things really begin is when they have sex. And I'm here to tell you that you can have a full and complete life with Without even having sex. We need to start with that. What do you think of Jesus? Did Jesus have a full, complete life? He didn't have any sex. Do you think Jesus didn't fully connect with God? Do you think Jesus didn't have a deep, full connection with other people and intimacy with the people that he knew? Of course he did. He lived the fullest of life and he never had sex. Genesis 2.20, we're going to skip to the other creation account. So move ahead to that. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds in the heavens and every beast on the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So he's like, I see the aardvark, the porcupine, the grizzly bear, and none of these are doing it for me, God. I hope that's not for me. And he's going, okay, at some point, one of these are going to do it for me, but it's just not, I'm not, it's not working for me, God. Then we have woman that's created. It says, it says in the other book, in the other chapter that God took the, the, the bone from the side, the rib from, from man and created woman. And it's said often that she was taken from his side, not from his head that she, that he should lord over her or that she should lord over him and not from his feet that he should trample her, but from his side that woman should be alongside him in this life. And so woman shows up, verse 23, then the man said, now this is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. What's that part about? Sex, one flesh. This is intercourse. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. One fleshed. I spoke a while back about Trinity a few weeks ago. This is that term when, when God says, the Lord your God is one. It's that same term. It's perfect unity where you can't tell the difference between one and the other. These two entities are mixed together to create something unified and complete. So when we have sex, what we're doing is we're reflecting this beautiful picture of the Trinity where there's one man, there's one woman, and one marriage to God. And we're perfectly connected to him. Perfect Trinity. It's a place of perfect safety because there's, there's a connection and there's a commitment. There's a covenant. There's marriage with us. And then there's a God that says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And so there's perfect safety no shamed. They, they were naked and unashamed. What's that feel like? I was thinking when I was reading, reading that, what, is that, what does that actually feel like? You're at Fred Meyer, you know, just, hey, <laughs> buying groceries, unashamed, 
The only people, I feel like the only people I know that get this are these guys at the gym in the locker room. And I'm just like, I'm like, dude, we don't need to have a conversation until you get some pants on. Because there are some guys that don't get the bubble. It gets bigger when you're naked. It just does. Like, give me more space. I don't get it. Just put, put a towel on. If that's you, put a towel on, please. Then we can talk about church. Not until then. So what was, what was perfect and shameless has become a place of great shame. What happened? What happened? It was perfect and shameless. Shame is when we go into hiding because we fear being found out. We're afraid that people would find out truly who we are. Being naked. It's like everybody can see who I really am. I want to put on more clothes like they did when sin entered the world. I want to cover myself up. I want to protect myself because I don't want to feel shame because I don't know what you're going to do when you see the real me. That's what happens when you remove sex from the covenant of marriage and that commitment, what you do is you set yourself up for shame. Because at any moment, this can be broken. And I get that people get divorced and there's broken relations, relationships all through the world. But what it was created for was to be in this perfect place of connection between you and somebody else. A perfect place of commitment where you knew you could be completely who you are. Naked and unashamed and that person wasn't going anywhere. Wouldn't that be a good feeling? Wouldn't that be a good feeling as your body wastes away? Maybe you're cute now, but I'm telling you. Give it 50 years, folks. Our bodies are falling apart. It's going to happen. It's already happening. I, I know it's coming. And so when that happens, what happens to intimacy for you? Is it gone? Are you worried that somebody's going somewhere? That's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be perfect connection for eternity. The church has said it'll make you wander. It'll make you wander. Be careful, it's going to make you wander. Since it's so powerful, which sex is powerful, it has the potential to come between us and God. It certainly does. It has that potential. Just like money, four-wheelers, football, movies, running, hiking, children, and church. All these things can come between us and God. Anything can be used to draw a gap between us and God. The tendency is to run from things that could be turned into the wrong thing. Just run from it. Just stay away from it. If you don't take anything else home today, I want you to, I want you to take this home. Sex doesn't hurt people. People hurt people. And your low capacity view of sex isn't protecting anyone. So that's how you preach to a bunch of gun-toting Alaskans. Sex doesn't hurt people. People hurt people. That's how it works. The sex is not the problem. We are the problem. I'm the problem. You're the problem. It's not the sex. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. If you want to flip to that. By the way, you can download our app and follow along with us there if you want to do that also. Verse 15, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? There it is, one body together. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. There's that oneness again with God. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body. 
but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Flee from sexual immorality. So read that. I always think about. I had to read this out loud in junior high school at, at my youth group, and I read "Flee from Sexual Immortality," and I stopped, and I was like, "That sounds kind of good. I don't, I don't know if I want to flee from that. That sounds pretty cool. Flee from sexual immorality." And it's saying that sexual sin is something to be concerned with. Is it saying that sexual sin is a greater sin? Some people believe that. So so there's sin. There's sin, which is missing God's mark of perfection on humanity. And then there's sexual sin, which is up here in terms of its greatness. And to understand where it fits, what you have to understand first is that we are equally unworthy of a right relationship with a holy God. No matter what you have done, whether you're stealing candy bars or selling sex, you are unworthy of a relationship with God because you are unholy. You are broken. I am unholy. I am broken. But what it does mean is that sexual sin creates a whole lot of extra wreckage. It does. You can steal a candy bar, but if you're selling sex, you are creating wreckage in ways that stealing a candy bar is never going to create. What we need to know is we need to run from sin, not from sex. Sometimes those are the same things. I get that. But you need to focus on an understanding of sex not being the problem, of sin being the problem. Again, we are the issue. It says your body is the temple. It says, don't you know that, that your body is the temple? Any Walking Dead fans? Anybody watching Walking Dead? So I was watching this week. They had this crazy thing that went down in a church. And, and at one moment she goes, the girl, she, she says, this isn't, this isn't a church. This isn't God's house. It's just four walls and a roof. It's just four walls and a roof. And when I, when I heard that, I was like, that's, that's kind of good theology, actually. This place, four walls and a roof. You realize that, that this is just a building. That God doesn't exist on some mountain somewhere. He doesn't exist in some building. You don't walk in here and encounter God and then leave here and go, well, I guess I'm going to leave him in the church. He doesn't exist within the church. He exists in you and me. We are the temple. We are where God has chosen to set up his residence within us. And so it's interesting to me when you think about that because there are all kinds of things that you wouldn't do in this building. Right? You're like, there's a lot of things I do, but not in church. You know, I wouldn't say this in church. I wouldn't do this in church because that's like a free ticket to hell if you do that. So there are things that you experience that you would never do in this place. And that's funny to me when you think about it because what is this place? Four walls and a roof. You get no more Jesus in this building than you did out in your car in the parking lot. He resides in you, which brings you to another level of weirdness when you think about that and the things that we choose to do. So if my body is the temple, then what are you doing in the temple? What are you doing with the temple? That gets a little weird. Think about God peering over your shoulder with everything that you do. But that's how it is. We have this idea that that God resides in us. We are the temple and we should treat our bodies as the temple. 
it talks about idolatry and worship, that godly sex is supposed to be worship. This is what God says. God says it'll make you worship. Sex will make you worship. We all worship something. First Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know, you can have sex for the glory of God. Amen. Do it all for the glory of God. Everything God gives you is a vehicle for worship. Everything you do, your kids, your finances, your job, your wife, your house, everything that you have is a vehicle for worship. And godly sex is worship, which means ungodly sex is idolatry. It means, again, we're, we're trading in worship of the creator for worship of the creation. We've taken something that was perfect, shameless, unifying, and made it something that breaks us and breaks others. And throughout, throughout time, when you see in, in, in humanity, you see people leading into idolatry. History books show this. Idolatry always leads into sexual immorality. It always leads to people doing certain things for these different gods that they've created. And it ends up being sexual brokenness within their culture. Idolatry always leads into sexual immorality. Where's the idolatry in your life? It always leads to sexual immorality. It always leads to a broken view of sex. What was made to be something of gratitude for God is now something just for personal gain. It's now all about me. How can I make myself feel better? How do I become more full, more whole, more uh, pleased with my life? And I'm going to find that, those, those ways of getting that through sex. The church has said it's something that you do. Sex is something that you do. Put it in the corner. Put it on a shelf somewhere. Hide it in the counter. We're not touching it. It's just something that you do. There's kind of this Greek dualism. It's this idea that the spirit and the body are two separate things. So you can love God, but not, don't worry about your body. And in fact, what's been understood by many, many churches and generations is that, that the body is bad and the spirit is good. And so anything that's pleasurable for your body is potentially bad. And so you should run from those things and focus on deeper spiritual things. There's a separation from those things. When that's really not the case, that there's this, this holistic view of relationship with God, this mind, body, and soul, this full, complete connection that we're supposed to have with God as well as with each other. The church often separates sexuality from spirituality and they, they end up pinning them up against each other. In fact, what people have said is that sex or sexuality just comes from part of you that's left to be made like Christ. It just comes from kind of a dirty part of you. It's, it's the part of you that hasn't been made like Christ yet. Which to me is, is a horrible thing to say of something that God has given to us as a gift. You can't separate sex from the soul. They're connected, and they're always connected, and that's why it can be so damaging. Anytime you have a soul connection with somebody, you become one with somebody, and then you tear it apart, there's going to be some damage. There's going to be some issues. It's like taking a piece of duct tape, and it goes on the ground, and it comes off, and it goes on the ground, and it comes off, and it goes on the ground, and it comes off, and there's, at some point, there's there's no sticky left, you know? It's not working like it's supposed to be. There's been some damage that's been caused by this, this deep connection and this deep disconnect. We are created as human 
beings to reflect the oneness that God has in those of himself. We were created so specially than all of the other animals. Different than all of the other animals. We are humans. We have souls. You know, animals don't have souls, especially cats. Cats don't have souls. <laughs> I was at a friend's house last night. They had cats. I didn't even know they had cats, and I just started swelling up, and oh, it's horrible. Evil, anything that you're worried if you fall asleep, they're going to eat your leg is not something with a soul. They don't have souls. We have souls. We are created by God, bearing the image of God. God didn't place his image on anything else. Do you know that? Only you. He didn't place his image on anything else he created. Only you bear the image of God. Animals, what they do is they just have impulses. It's what they do. They just procreate. It's it's just written into their DNA. They just do it. They, they don't think about it. They don't feel bad about it. It's not a, not a deep emotional thing. You know, there's not like a, like a moose out there somewhere looking at all of the other moose, you know? And he's like, look at you ladies. But then maybe I should pick one, you know, and have a deep connection with her. Maybe I should, you know, date her, spend some time with her, get to know her a little bit. You know, it's, there's, it's just impulse. It's what they do. They're in the rut, so they have sex. That's what they know how to do. We're different. We were meant to be different. C.S. Lewis says, if you remove morals from humanity, you remove humanity. Remove morals from humanity. No longer are you human. And the problem isn't, the problem is on both sides. I worry about not only what sexual immorality does for the person that you're, you're hurting, but I also worry about you. Like, how human can you be after dehumanizing enough people? We see that in a lot of different areas, but it's, it's very clear in our sexuality. God says it's something that you are. Sexuality is something that you are. Before you ever had sex, before sex was ever part of the picture, you were a sex. God made you a man. He made you a woman. He put his stamp, his image on you. It says male and female, he created them. And this word sex, it comes from the Latin sectar, meaning to sever, amputate, or cut off. That's what sex means. It's this sever, the separation of the two. So there's man and there's woman. There's a separation. And sexuality is the realization of that separation and the desire to reconnect them. That's what sexuality is. And this is an important thing to understand because you can be single, celibate, and extremely connected to God and other people. You know that, right? You can be single and not having sex and feel extremely connected to God and other people. You can also be married or not married, having a lot of sex, and feel extremely disconnected and lonely. You know that too? That's why prostitutes, one of the most dangerous things for prostitutes, is to have an emotional connection with somebody that they're sleeping with. Can you imagine having a deep emotional connection and relationship with everybody that they sleep with. They wouldn't say they have a relationship with them. They wouldn't say they have an emotional connection to them. They'd say they're doing their job. It's what, it's what they're doing. That's what happens when we sleep with somebody, if you don't have that deep connection. And I would also say this. I don't think you can completely shut it off. You may try to train yourself, teach yourself not to really connect in a deep level with somebody. You may think, well, that just didn't mean anything to me at that point, but it meant something to you. You still remember it. It's still in your memory. It meant something to you because that's what sex was supposed to be. An eternal connection 
in a place of safety, in a place of covenant, of commitment. So it's all about reconnecting. That's what sexuality is. All about reconnecting something that was broken. You don't have to have sex to have that. You know that there's couples that can't have sex, right? There's couples that just can't do it. There's problems, there's issues with their bodies that they can't have sex. Would you say that they can't be intimate with each other? Can they never experience intimacy the way that you can? I'd say absolutely not. I bet they can. I bet they can experience intimacy. They just have to understand that it happens through other things. So I say all that not to minimize the value of sex because sex is good. And it's valuable. And God gave it to us as a gift. And I think all you married people should be having a lot of sex. But I will say this, that when it doesn't work, you better understand that sex is so much greater than a physical Connection. It's also a deep, intimate, spiritual connection. And you need other ways of doing that besides using your bodies. And I think God has given us that gift. And you don't need to have sex to experience peace with who you are. I want you to know that. You don't need to have sex to experience peace with your sexuality. People think that sexuality is just all about having sex, but it's about that connection There's so many people that are obsessed with their bodies. They think, if I just look better, I'm going to be more sexually fulfilled. I was reading this this week. According to the New York Times, 85% of women are unhappy with their bodies. Unhappy with their bodies. 85% of you ladies look in the mirror and say, I'm just, I don't like that. That's a problem. You need to know that your value and your beauty don't come from your skin and flesh that will waste away, but from the God whose image you bear. That's where your beauty comes from. That's men. That's where your value comes from. You got nothing to prove. To yourself or to others, you bear the image of God. That's enough. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. Full life. Whenever you see killing, stealing, destroying, dehumanizing of people, that's not God. That's not God's plan at all full life. The Greek word is zoe, which means complete life, the fullest of deep spiritual and physical integration. Full life right here on earth. You don't have to wait till heaven. You don't have to wait till you die to have full life. You can have it right here, deeply connected with each other, connected with God. So what kind of, what kind of idolatry are you in? What kind of slavery are you in? Are you caught in some kind of addiction? Are you obsessed with finding the right person? Are you sure that your marriage would be perfect if you just had more sex? Are you sure that marriage would be perfect if you didn't have so much sex? Are you afraid of sex, of intimacy? Afraid of being alone? Like where is the the brokenness in your view of sex. Galatians 5 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. God's plan for sex is, isn't about fear. It's about freedom. It's all about freedom. And that's what I, man, I, I just, I've been preparing for this this week and I was like, man, if, if people could leave this church feeling freedom, it'd be a good day. If you could have peace with God, it would be a good day. Freedom to reframe your view of sex completely. No matter what the church told you, no matter what your parents told you, no matter what your friends told you, freedom, freedom from shame, from pressure, from insecurity. If you guys could experience all of that, that would be peace. 
because godly sex is the best sex. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know, sex is pretty good without God. I'm here to tell you it gets better. It gets better with God. Maybe you said it's peaceful. It's already kind of peaceful. Well, I'm here to tell you godly sex will give you everlasting peace. Maybe you're like, I can't control it. And you see a broken area in your life in the area of sexuality. And you say, listen, I have asked God to get rid of this and it hasn't gone away. And I want you guys to know, God says my grace is sufficient for you. My strength will be made perfect in your weakness. Just come to me. I want to close with this story. There's in John 4, there's this story of this Samaritan woman. And she's kind of this woman of the night. She's got a checkered past. It's the middle of the day. They come to this place called Jacob's Well. And Jesus meets her there and she's drawing water out of the well. And Jesus starts speaking to her, which is unheard of. This respected rabbi speaking to this Samaritan woman. They shouldn't have been talking. And so he starts speaking to her, which just shocks her. Middle of the day. And he says, would you draw me some water? And she says, I can't. There's no way to get the water. The the well is deep. And I have no way to get the water for you. And Jesus is like, no, you don't know what I'm talking about. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring in him of water welling up into eternal life. That's the water I want for you. I feel like that's a beautiful picture of where most of us are at today. That as we look at ourselves, we got no business to talk to a holy God. We've got mistakes, we've got problems, we've got issues in the area of our sexuality, and it causes us to pull away from God. And I'm convinced that this series is one of the most important series that we'll ever preach on. That's why I want you guys to be here for this, because this goes deep into your soul. And the implications of a healthy sexuality or a broken sexuality go so much farther beyond just your sex life. They go into your soul. And here's this woman coming before Jesus, a respected rabbi. She says, I got no business talking to you. What are, what are you doing? And he says, I'm going to give you eternal life. You don't, have to, you don't have to search anymore. You don't have to keep drawing water out of the well. I'm going to give you this peace this water that will give you a spring of life forever. Because God, he, he wants to liberate your sexuality. He does. But more than anything, I think God wants to liberate your soul. That's what matters to him today. Would you guys just close your eyes and pray with me real quick? God, we need your grace. Father, as I look at my life, I see just issues and mistakes in the area of sexuality. And yet at the same time, God, I I have your peace because I know that I'm covered by your, your forgiveness and your love. God, I know there are those in this room that see nothing but mistakes when they think of their sexuality. I know that there's people in this room that have been lied to, have believed lies about sex, Father, I pray for freedom today, liberation for their souls, peace. God, could you give peace? God, I believe that there are people that wonder, can you do it? Can you actually heal us? Could I actually have a water that quenches my thirst forever? 
Father, I believe that you want to give that to us today. Maybe you're here in the seats and you're like, Brian, I don't know if I know that God. I don't know if I've ever known that peace. I don't know if I've ever received that grace. And you feel like you've got no business talking with a holy God. But you say, today I want to be forgiven. Today I want to be welcomed into this family. Today I want to make the exchange. My sin for the righteousness of Jesus given to me through the blood of Christ. We don't do this too often, but I just, as as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I want to give you a chance to respond. God sent his son Jesus to earth physically. He put on our skin, our flesh, our sin was crucified for us. He met us physically. If you today, if you know, you're not sure if you would leave this place knowing God. You're not sure that you are in his hands, safe protected by him. I want to give you a chance here in a second just to just to raise your hand as a sign that you're going to physically, spiritually, emotionally commit to God. It's not just something you're, you're choosing in your heart, but you are choosing with your whole being to receive his grace, not by your strength, not with, by your ability to change things, but by his goodness, his grace within you. If that's you today, would you just shoot your hand up real quick? Would you just lift your hand and signify that and let me know? that you guys want that. Amen. Thanks. Thanks. And secondly, if you, if you follow Jesus, but you see this area of your life, you see that it's broken. You see that you need to recommit to purity in the area of your sexuality. If that's you today, I want you to respond here in just a second. Physically making a move to signify that you are going to choose to make different choices. Again, not by your strength, but by the strength of Christ. If you need to make that commitment today, would you just raise your hand? Just commit to that today, if that's you. Amen. Thanks. Jesus, your grace is sufficient. Your strength is made perfect in our brokenness and weakness. Father, would you come in and renovate our souls and make us more like you, God, and let us be a people who trust in your grace. I pray it in your name. Amen.